Well, that was special this morning. Thank you for stewarding that, John. You know, it's, it's a privilege to speak at this church. This is home. And just really excited. I don't ever take it for granted. I love the fact that God's put a passion on me to develop leaders. And I probably give the stage up more than any lead pastor that, that I know of. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't love to communicate. And I have a really strong word this morning. And I feel like I have a really clear word. And so I'm excited. But before we move into my epic sermon, <laughs> I want to talk about a few things that have, have been bothering me a little bit. I, <clears throat> when, you, when you fly on an airplane, you have lots of time to think. Uh, golly, is that not true? I don't know if you're closer to God when you're on an airplane. You hear it more clearly. I don't know what that is. Some of you intercessors could probably <laughs> speak a message on that. Here's some things that I haven't really liked lately. Um, I don't like shopping during Christmas. Unless it's Amazon. Whoever created Amazon, it's just genius. I can shop for my kids in four and a half minutes online. In the old days, you know, you had to get on Woodruff Road. If you see me on Woodruff Road this Christmas, I'm in a hearse because I'm not getting on that road. Last year, I had to run an errand. I got on Woodruff Road. It took two hours. Two to get to like Dick's Sporting Goods. I ain't doing it anymore. Uh, shopping, I'm really not a fan of bad weather at all. In Champaign, Illinois this week, it was one degree. <laughs> It'd just be better being zero. They taunt you when they say one. One degree. It feels, feels like negative 14. Um, I'll never complain about the weather in the south again in the winter. I love y'all. We don't have winter. This ain't winter. I was, it's not even December when I was there. It's winter. I can't imagine like being from like Minnesota, North Dakota. I mean, I, I can't imagine. It'd be almost impossible to follow God in weather like that, I think. <laughs> Or it might be easier because you would know how much you need him. Who in here is from the, the way up there? Not like Raleigh. I'm talking way up there. <laughs> Anybody from Minnesota in here? You, you know, it's funny because people walk around in shorts around here and you know we think they're kind of crazy until you realize where they're from and it's like oh i get it when we landed at gsp the other night and it was 42 degrees i'm not kidding you it felt like it was 75 degrees you can tell i'm a little bit triggered um putting kids to bed during the christmas season it's a terrorist hostage negotiation scene um, jim gaffigan recently said that whenever his kids say good night daddy he says you don't you don't mean that you know But I want to talk about one that um, I have decided is the thing that I hate most in my life. Can we put the definition of turbulence up on the screen? <laughs> it's a violent or unsteady movement of air or water of some other fluid. It's, a, it's conflict and confusion. There's three reasons that I don't like turbulence, specifically in an airplane. Some of you don't mind turbulence. You even have your little smart aleck uh, explanations. Well, it's like hitting a pothole. No, it's not. It's not. I don't scream when I hit a pothole going 12 miles an hour. I don't pray in tongues when I hit a pothole. Stop saying that. That's not true. I'm not at 30,000 feet hitting potholes.
Three reasons I hate turbulence. Number one, I'm not in control of the plane. I figured it out because I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. You're 46 years old. You're probably, you know, you're halfway through the journey down here to some degree. And it's like, I got to get over this. So I'm like, well, Father, what is it? Why don't I like it? He said, because you're not in control. And I was like, I don't think he's being literal because I can't fly a plane. He's probably going somewhere with this. <laughs> think about it. Does anyone in here share your passion and Christ-likeness with me that you don't like turbulence? That was a joke. Heard too loud. I just don't like it at all. I've even gotten online and, and like done the videos where they really explain what's going on. It doesn't help when your plane is shaking and the stewardess sits down really quick and you got the Catholic lady in the back doing a Rosemary Hail Mary Mother of God. Oh, it's just a pothole. No, it's not. Well, you know, there's only been one plane crash in the last 9,000 years of American aviation. It doesn't help. I'm not in control. Number two reason I don't like turbulence. I don't like bumpy when I can't see straight ahead. There's something about an airplane, because if you're not in the cockpit, you cannot see where you're going. You can only look out the side windows. I don't like that. And I specifically don't like that when I look sideways, all I see is 30,000 feet down. When houses look like the size of cell phones, you're too high. If I was God, I would make a plane where you could fly like three feet, you know, <laughs> like just through cities. What's going, why you got to be so high? I don't like looking sideways at all. I like to know where I'm going. I like to have some sense of control because if I hit a pothole going 45 miles an hour and it knocks a tire off my car, at least I'm driving. At least I'm not looking out my side window. You know, I'm not driving this way, looking that way. In an airplane, I'm not driving, and I'm looking sideways. God made me to look forward. Paul said, put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. He said, look forward. He didn't say, look sideways. <laughs> look sideways to your death of 30,000 feet while some 14-year-old flies your plane. <laughs> Number three reason I hate turbulence. When I say hate, I mean hate. I personally am built for calm, cheese, Jimmy Buffett music. I'm not a thrill seeker. Some of you are thrill seekers. That's fine. It really is. It's fine. I'm not in any way. I like slow. I'm a pontoon man. I read an article. They said uh, they're going to invent the plane that gets to London and fr from Atlanta in like an hour and a half. And it goes 4.7 billion miles an hour. Nope. Not going to get on that. What's the only thing worse than flying is the thought of me getting to London in an hour and a half. I'm just picturing like getting thrown to the back of the plane the whole way. Let's go to the next slide here. There's two types of turbulence on airplanes. Number one, turbulence that is announced ahead of time. You would think this makes it better. Nope. Nope. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to warn you of your impending death coming up in about 35 minutes. At least that's what I hear. In 35 minutes, we are going to fly through sheets and blocks of ice. And the bottom's going to fall out of the plane, but it's okay. We've been trained. It's going to be fine. I, I would rather that pilot never tell me. Because over the years, as much as I fly, there are some times for the next 30 minutes, it goes into some sort of psychosis. Does anyone know what I mean? When, when, when someone gives you a heads up 
we're going to Peru one time. <laughs> we're going to Peru, and it was like, in about an hour, we are going to encounter extreme turbulence. Don't tell me that. The other type of turbulence, I, I, and I think this is just as bad. This is like the paradox that I hate both sides. It's just unexpected turbulence. The light goes off, ding, ding. Uh, welcome to Delta. So glad you're here today. You don't have to put on your seatbelt. You can do whatever you want to do. We're fine. Three seconds later, it is a scene at a platoon. <laughs> Woo! We just dropped 4,000 feet. And the, the pilots do this sometimes. Ding, 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 ding. Stewardess, take your seat immediately. You just told me everything's fine. There's no accountability. There's no accountability to pilots. There's no accountability to weather people. A weather person could say a typhoon's coming Thursday. Oh, sorry, we missed that. They're not going to get fired. It's the same way with pilots. Hey, you're free to roam about. Welcome to Delta. We get you there. It's calm. It's fine. Ding, 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 ding. You're, you ever been in the restroom in an airplane when you go through Vietnam in your mind? I have been thrown around a bathroom on an American Eagle flight one time. And I'm telling you, I told the father, I said, I'm going to fight that pilot when I get off this. Because you told me that it's going to be calm. You know those pilots keep their doors shut when it gets that way. And then when it's a smooth ride and everybody's happy, they're out there talking and hugging. It's kind of like being a pastor of a church, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed recently because I do a lot of counseling sessions um, I'm a pastor I help people do the best they can to connect with God and each other it's kind of hard to do both you know some people say it's hard to build community that's because you're a human humans are weird we're broken we're, we're all strange Someone says, that person's strange. You're strange. I promise you, you are. <laughs> So-and-so's got issues. You've got issues too. So then you're going to try to bond with a God you can't see, taste, touch, feel, and hear audibly unless he sovereignly speaks to you. It's kind of hard being down here. You come into the world naked. You don't know who you are. You got this woman or man or doctor. You don't know where you are. You try to figure this whole thing out. We basically shake when we come into the world. We shake all the way through. And then you get to heaven. I bet people just collapse and say, that's strange. <laughs> then you meet him that says, I actually knew you before I made you. It's odd down here. If your faith does not present itself as odd to you from time to time, then you probably got a little bit too comfortable with this whole thing. You know what I mean? Life is turbulence. And sometimes it is announced and sometimes it's not. I hate both. But you don't need hope until you've been placed in a situation that you need hope. Hopelessness is actually the recipe of a great move of God in your life. It's one thing to talk about the move of God for the nations. What about just the move of God in your life? So I prepare for you a feasting table because I love you. I've anointed you. I have put my shmika on you, Chad. But I'm going to actually groom you. And I'm going to prepare you at this feasting table in the midst of turbulence. A lot of the turbulence we complain about doesn't come from the enemy. Most of it comes from the Father. And sometimes he announces it. Sometimes he'll give me a heads up on turbulence. 
And sometimes he doesn't. I don't like either one. I'd prefer it to be this way. You go to your mailbox on Monday morning. The father gives you a sheet of paper. Doesn't require any faith. Tells you everything you need to know about everything. And, uh, and then it just kind of goes that way. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So if I ever have an expectation that God is supposed to meet me on how I'm wired, I've already lost. And I have some awful news on this Advent Sunday. Just some terrible news. The gospel is good news. I came to give you some terrible news. I'm being facetious. He actually ordains turbulence in our lives to show us where we are on this hope meter. You ever heard this? Well, I didn't see that coming. That just happened so fast. What gives me the right to even think that it shouldn't happen that way? Think about it. See, very few of us in here would admit that we're the gods of our own lives. But in reality, many of us are because we live our lives as though we are the supreme being and the way I think is the way it's supposed to happen. And I'm going to have my plans and I'll give them to God and and pray that he will bless them. It says in Jeremiah, for he knows the plans he has for us. See, he's the plan maker. And the plan maker loves turbulence. He loves it. Dare I say, I think it's one of his core values. He loves it so much that it still bothers me after all these years. Someone said the other day, I just, I just get a picture that um, I, I just see some bumps ahead of you. Remember when Chevy Chase just snaps in Christmas vacation? He completely snaps and he, he takes like the chainsaw and he starts fixing stuff in his house. I started laughing awkwardly. My wife hates it when I do this. But I started laughing awkwardly to the person, like overboard laughing. And I said, it's been bumpy for 20, the last 22 years of my life. The Holy Spirit will intentionally put you into bumpiness more than anyone I've ever met in my life. Because he's the comforter, but he can only bring you comfort if you're in an uncomfortable place. And he will usher you into, into discomfort. And you think you need to read a Frank Peretti book to run from the enemy. It's not the enemy. He's not a Thomas Kincaid painting. That's what you want him to be. He's like a Thomas Kincaid painting with a tornado in the left corner, a typhoon in the right corner, a grizzly bear attacking like the Kincaid, like where it says Thomas Kincaid, he's bitten off the T on Thomas, a snake dangling from it and a dove descending upon it. See, Jesus existed to bring shalom into chaos. If you focus so much on the shalom side of who Jesus wants to be for you, you will ignore the chaos side. I I love, I'm a grown man, I'll admit this. I just, I love bubble baths. I love them. I love them. I like a bath so hot that when I get out of the bath, it's like something's wrong. You people that take baths when it's like 94 degrees in the water, really? I want to take a bath to where it's... I love it. Anybody like really hot baths? The only thing better than a hot bubble bath is a hot bubble bath with jets in the tub. That's like the highest level of relaxation. The way those things sound, that water starts churning. God's a jet in your bubble bath. It's not Satan. Hey, brother, can you just pray for me that I would just learn to do warfare better? The enemy's stirring up trouble in my life. It's probably not the enemy. The, the father's, he's actually, he's funny because he doesn't see things the way we see them. 
if there's anything in my life that's bringing me comfort other than him and him only, him being three, he'll just stir some stuff up in you to see what you hold on to when the turbulence hits. And many of us make our plans our God. So when our plans aren't going the way we think they should go, we get like this and we blame God. You might need to put that day planner down for a while. All right, let's go through some passages. I have about 113 passages I want to go through. Let's just start with the first one. I believe it's uh, Acts 9-1. Um, have you ever heard this? I just, I just didn't see it coming. God doesn't process the way we think he does. He processes with himself because God is community. He processes with Jesus and Holy Spirit. But, so he's fully processed by the time he starts telling you what to do. Saul has no idea what's coming. I want you to ask the questions. How long did Saul process this? <laughs> this is turbulence on a high level. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, can we say suddenly? A light from heaven flashed around him. Why are we so afraid of suddenly moments? If you can explain everything God's doing in your life and you have a heads up on everything that's coming your way, then you're not following God because you've equated yourself with the planner. Suddenly moments aren't given a heads up. When they went to the upper room at Pentecost, they, they didn't really know what they were doing. When Simon Peter was walking with John after the resurrection and Simon said, well, Lord, what about this guy, John? Simon didn't really have it figured out. Jesus had gradual revelation of his ultimate assignment even up into the, the, um, the garden when he said, Father, please take this cup from me. Why is he saying, please take this cup from me? Because he didn't want it. And then he said, nevertheless, my point is not his surrender. My point is even Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew in it. You're going to have suddenly moments the rest of your life and if turbulence bothers you with God, I don't know what to tell you other than good luck. Because what happens is God will increase the turbulence in our lives. And he'll actually teach you shalom in the middle of turbulence. You know, it's interesting. I've actually become comfortable with turbulence in my relationship with God. I actually even prefer it. I don't like it in the airplanes. I wish I could be like Oprah and have a TV show that helped change the world and everyone had to fly to the studio. I don't even want to fly to Charlotte. But in the spirit realm, I have learned that it's only in turbulence you find out two things, who he is and who you are. Without turbulence, you can waste a decade of your life. Turbulence is a blessing. Let's just go to the next one. The next passage, uh, not, not, uh, not that Acts 9, but... All right, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. This is so funny to me because uh, if you read this in context, this is like the greatest statement Simon Peter could ever hear. He had no heads up this was coming. I believe he was fishing. His brother shows up. Hey, Simon, we found the Messiah. <laughs> to a young Jewish man. Like, that's preposterous. You have to kind of know the whole story. It would take me a while to paint the picture. The point is not even the revelation of that. The point is, ask yourself the question, how much of a heads up did Simon know this was coming? I don't think he had any heads up. One day he's a fisherman. The next day he's about to be, as the Catholics would call him, the first pope of the church. 
He was the Lord's number one disciple. How long did he process it? About two seconds. If God wants to shift your game plan, if he wants to redirect you, if he wants to stir the waters, if he wants to give you a one-day heads up that it's time to sell your business, that's really his business, not yours. This is what I don't like about following God because it's a continual admittance that I'm not in control. <laughs> Who wants to sign up for that? You know, we give these altar calls. Who would like to have your migraines healed in an instant? Absolutely. What if you gave an altar call like this? Who in here would like to surrender your life to a God you can't see? You have no more rights, and wherever the wind blows, that's where it blows. And if he wants to give you clarity, he will, but he probably won't. Anybody want to follow him? <laughs> Let's keep going. This is getting better. Acts 10.1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a non-Jewish centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I love this. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. If someone got up here and told that story, of course, this church probably the outlier of that. Most churches, when you got up and told a story like that, they would look at you like, sure thing, Budro. Here, it'd be like, yeah, me too. That's kind of like our church. <laughs> Who gives corn? He's not Jewish. Angel shows up. Hey, Cornelius, go find a man named Simon Peter. You don't understand this now. He's going to be the most significant disciple. Just give him some interpretation. I'm going to drop a sheet. Animals on four corners. What? Pardon me? An angel. Cornelius didn't grow up in a rabbinical system where he would even know what an angel is. If God wants to give you an encounter with an angel himself, he can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants it. And if you're not comfortable with that, he still will love you, but you'll never be able to be good friends with him. I don't have him figured out. You know what drives me crazy about him? He does both with me. He'll give me a heads up on turbulence, and then he won't. 3.33 a.m., 15 days ago, I was woken up. Is it woken up or waking up? Wendy's not here, so she won't get mad at me. I never know. Is it woken? Uh, woken. Wendy's serving our kids downstairs. Ooh, she jumps on me when I say something wrong in the English. We're in Illinois. I'm like, I feel like I'm back in grammatic school. I don't even know what grammatic school is. What just happened? What'd you say? Um, when I woke up, I did not see the angel with my natural eyes. Someone was standing beside my bed. It didn't give me chills, and I didn't say, oh, this is awesome. It scared me. I closed my eyes, and I said, Holy Spirit, what's going on? He said, Jeremiah 33.3. Jeremiah 33.3, the idea is call unto me things you don't know, and I'll show you. And I, I did that. In the last 15 days, he's given me more revelation about what I'm called to lead, how to do it, what it looks like. And he showed me things I did not know about a lot of stuff. Why didn't he just tell me that at the table conference? I had about 19 prophets from four corners of the earth here. <laughs> Use one of them. Seriously. Don't you do that at a conference? No, he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Well, I just didn't see that coming in my life. Uh, why is that even a thought? If it's God, by the way. You know, I love asking questions about heaven. The people I lead, I'll say all the time, hey, where are you from? 
and some, I remember Eric at the Ascent Leadership School, he was telling me where he's from, and I'll just keep asking him until they say heaven. You know, we're not from here. We're passing through here. You can't fully explain what it's going to be like when you get there, what you will do. You, there are four huger, major, major um, interpretations of even the book of Revelation. In seminary, four respected scholars I was surrounded with, they all have different interpretations of even the book of Revelation. You, you, you can't really explain the future. It, 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 there's lots of thoughts on it. Then why do you feel the need to explain everything down here with him and to have everything in a box and it has to go this way? And Well, no, that's what we do on Tuesday nights because we always do that on Tuesday nights. Is it possible that people find their comfort in a system other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of that system? So when God decides to shake the system up, why do you fall apart? Well, because I'm just wired for system. No, you're actually wired for God. There's no structure on this earth that supersedes what he wants to do. And he's not a system. He's a person. That's why in seminary, taking some of these theology classes, I just, I've been wired this way my whole life. I say what I'm supposed to say, and I'm, I'm like, what are we doing? I love doctrine, but... If the Father wants an angel to manifest and redirect me or you, listen. He's God, we're not. I love the movie, Rudy. I'd like it more if it was about Georgia football instead of Notre Dame football, but I love it. And I love what that priest says to Rudy when he goes to see the priest. He says, Rudiger, there's two things I've learned in the priesthood. There's a God and I'm not him. (laughs) The downside to a prophetic culture is that you can be tempted to believe that you can figure everything out. You don't know anything. And the only reason you know anything is because he's decided to show you. Well, I used my faith and I discerned Da Vinci's code. No, you did not. Even words of knowledge start with him. Like he's in charge. He's the boss. He's the lead dog. He, he. There's another couple of passages I, I really love this. <laughs> if you look in Genesis 11, it mentions like Abram wants. We don't know anything about him except his parents. And then here it is. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land in which I will show you. My point is not him not giving him clarity. My point is Abram didn't see it coming. It was a polytheistic society. Jehovah knocks on the door and Abram doesn't even know this Jehovah. Why, why did God not give him uh, a few months to process? I don't know. I ask God questions all the time. He never answers. It's not because I'm... I don't know why I ask him. I just do. I'm inquisitive. And when he wants to answer them, he answers them. You know, it's just a reminder that, yeah, we're a co-heir, but he's, he's much bigger co. You ever seen those two dogs running side by side and that little dog thinks it's like Cujo? That little dog is just, usually it's the little ones that are the most brash ones. And then, and then he kind of looks up and he's running with a St. Bernard. You might be a dog, but you're not the St. Bernard. You might be righteous, but you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. So if God wants to wake me up at 3.33 a.m. and tell me things, and he can pretty much do what he wants to do. The closer you uh, get in friendship with him and the higher on the mountain you get, he'll actually test you with this more and more and more and more and more. He said to me recently, he said, your middle name is Turbulence. He asked me the day before I took this job at the other church. He said, you want to go surfing in a hurricane? <laughs> Jimmy Buffett's my favorite musician because he plays three chords. I love the simplicity of it. 
and he had a song that came out that time, and it was called Surfing in a Hurricane. Some of us want to surf with God in a bathtub. You ever go bowling and you see that adult bowling with the bumpers down the side so it doesn't have to hit the gutters? What are you doing? That's a terrible picture of the kingdom. Like, in the kingdom, the bowling alley, the lane is about that wide. And there's like sharks coming out of the gutters trying to eat you while you bowl. Because you don't know who you are unless your enemies are coming after you. And that road is narrow. In Matthew 7, Matthew 14, the narrow road, it's called the squeezing road. John Flowers showed me this. You don't know who you are until you're squeezed. So how does God squeeze us? He puts you into turbulence and squeezes you to see what will come out. And until Jesus comes out, you're not where you need to be. Most of us, when turbulence comes, we get squeezed and we come out. I have never in my life squeezed an orange and all of a sudden lime juice comes out. <laughs> you squeeze a potato, it's just going to be mushy potato. You squeeze a strawberry, you got strawberry juice. Sometimes you squeeze one of us, it kind of sounds more like the enemy than the father. That's why it says in Colossians, put on tenderness, compassion. You don't know who you are until you're in turbulence. And I hate airplane turbulence. But I'm starting to love Abba's turbulence. Because I don't know who I am until my enemies are surrounding me. He told me something at 3.33 a.m. I, I had no idea. I had no idea spirit realm. Some of the, some of the things going on just... You know, the enemy has strategy on this church, what he wants to do in my life, your life. Sometimes the Father, he'll, he'll show you what's around you. You know, you've got to be careful if the person who ever smiles is close to you because behind every smile is a set of teeth. You, ha you have to learn that you don't, li you don't... There's another realm at play that's bigger than the natural realm. Just because it may seem like it's a calm season in your life, it may not be in the heavenlies. But then the Father will wake you up and show you things around you, and you'll actually be at peace. It's like those Old Testament passages where the enemies turn on each other. I love those seasons. You don't know who you are until your enemies are there. You can't really feast unless you can feast in the presence of your enemies. And your enemies are never humans, ever. They're never humans. I'm telling you, there's a principality behind um, Hitler. But when God opens up your eyes and you see the spirit realm around you, you got one of two options. Go to all the intercessors, fast and pray, and those things are great, actually. But if you lean too much on spiritual disciplines and you don't have your hope in God himself, you'll lose. I don't care if you got a thousand intercessors. I, I got a quote I want to put up there. Until your hope is in God and God alone, you're not there yet. How did I say it? My hope is in God, not my ability to overcome. Yeah. Can we go to one more passage? Can we go to the last one? This is my favorite. This is Saul to Paul. Now he's God's point guard. I mean, this man is just unbelievable what he accomplished in his life. <laughs> and uh, God gives him a plan, tells him what to do. You ever ask yourself, how did Paul know what to do? Because he didn't go to seminary. He went to an Arabian desert for a few years by himself with the Holy Spirit. Then he got groomed with disciples that they thought Paul was going to kill him. It's a really awkward story. God really likes turbulence. His story started off with being blind by Jesus. I thought Jesus is the healer. Well, Jesus 
makes him blind and then sends him to the disciples that think Paul's nuts. Paul got no heads up at all. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Well, he gets on his journeys and he's seeing dead people raised. And God tells him what to do. But then God changes, he changes Paul's direction at the last second. I don't know why, but let's just read it. Uh, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of that place in Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Why could he not go to Asia? Well, because God wouldn't let him. You got to be spirit-led on every decision. Many people have jobs that God never led you into, and you wonder why. It's just not working. Um, uh, when they came to the border of that place, and they tried to enter that place, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. When did the Spirit of Jesus not allow them to? Why can't Jesus just save them a couple of days' travel? Just tell them two days before. Paul, thank you so much. We can hardly find anyone that will follow us up here in heaven. I'm just glad I got at least one. I know that um, since I'm the Prince of Peace, I need to give you peace this way. There's no reason to go to those cities that Chad won't be able to pronounce one day a couple thousand years later. But. And so, you know what? I'd rather you just spend a couple of days consecrating yourself. He doesn't do that. He gives him zero heads up. Zero. And then when he gets there, he says, yeah, you can't go there. And this, I love this. Keep going. Uh, so they passed by uh, Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Everybody say at once. Vision came late and the obedience was immediate. Typically, we do the opposite. God, please give me heads up so I can process for six months and then I'll get people to speak into whether or not I can do that. What if God waits to the last second? Of course, it's last second only in your narrative, not in his narrative. It's not last second. If God seems last second all the time with you, it's because your plans are your God. Just want to be simple. I'm not trying to be mean. We all struggle with this. Some struggle more than others. If, if things seem to be changing all the time, and you say, well, this, stuff's just happening too fast, it's, it's because you need to get reconnected to Him. Uh, most of my life leadership, and Wendy will tell you, um, I, I learned this I don't call it the hard way because I actually enjoy it it's just daily bread give us this day our daily bread God does not value clarity on the front end as much as his kids do and to the degree in which I value clarity is actually a metric of how much I don't trust him Ryan Harmoning was sitting in the back I don't know a year and a half ago I'm preaching. I didn't know Ryan. And a lot of times God will speak to me. It's happening here today. He'll be speaking to me while I'm preaching about someone. Even this is an example of what God does. Why not just wait to tell me before the service? Or he tell me while I'm preaching. Interrupting my epic sermons. And I look in the back corner. And a couple people came to the altar. And um, I, just, I just ran to Ryan. I didn't know Ryan. And I said, you must move here. And he cried really hard. A lot of times when God tells you to move somewhere, to do something and change this, I would say most of the time it doesn't come with a huge heads up. So if you find yourself in turbulence, we're not going to have a ministry time today. 
perhaps you need to find hope in God, not even in your ability to overcome the thing that's, what is your turbulence? I have a painting in my office. It's my favorite painting ever. The guy that gave it to me thought it was a cheesy religious print. And it struck me so much. For the first time and only time in my life, I felt like a creative. And I stared at the painting, and I couldn't stop looking at it. 14, 15-foot waves, Simon Peter. Looks like he needs a change of underpants in the painting. He's scared to death. And the Lord is just nonchalant on the waves. It's real dark. Simon's scared. Jesus is not. Here's the best part about hope. When you put your hope in God, he's not scared. He's not scared. Perhaps the enemy is not the one hitting the Vitamix in your life where things just seemed all jumbled. Maybe it's the father. And when you learn to take a nap in the Vitamix, he'll turn it off. But if you fail a test, he'll just keep giving the test until you pass it. So you might as well learn to sleep in a Vitamix. Let's stand up. I bless this house that we not only would sleep in storms, but have hope in the one who's in charge of the storms. Go in peace. God bless.